be with you today and thankful. Thankful to be able to share with you what I got for you, Emily, today. For you, just for you today. We, uh, I don't know, several months ago, um, I think I had a message that was titled, We're Good News People. Uh, and I got good news for you today. Good news. We are good news people. We are not doom and gloom people. Uh, uh, we have hope, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are in part three of a four-part series uh, where we've been going through kind of the so what of the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is an interesting story. If you were to just watch it like on a movie or a TV show, it's very compelling, but, um, especially when you realize it's not like fiction. It's nonfiction. It's, it's real. Like somebody really did die. And three days later came to life. Uh, not only that, they said they were going to die. And said, this is how you're going to know that what I'm telling you is the truth. Uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered. In three days, I'm going to be raised back to life. Uh, but it's not just an interesting story. Like, it's not just there. Jesus didn't just die and rise again as a publicity stunt or to be cool or to get likes or follows or, you know, what else? Um reactions. Jesus actually died and rose again to accomplish some pretty significant stuff, really significant um, stuff. Um, significant en enough, think about it, that it was worth going through all the betrayal and all the beatings and all the, the, the nails in the hands and feet, the crown of thorns, the mockery the rejection, um, the sour wine, all of that. The, the, it, was, it was worth for a time going and being forsaken by the, the father whom he had always had a perfect relationship with. And now that relationship was broken because all of our sin was laid upon him on the cross. And, and ultimately breathing his last breath after saying it is finished and and going through all of that, it was worth, and, and probably even uh, more, uh, um, uh, not significant, but crazy than that, the fact that God became a human being. Now, can you imagine? Uh, are there places that you really would prefer not to go because you know it would be hard to live there? Like, I, I've been like, you know what, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go to a place where I can't plug my CPAP in. You know what I'm saying? I need that thing to sleep. And so wherever I go, it's kind of determined, is there a place where I can plug my CPAP in, you know? And yet, going through the hardship of not having a CPAP, which has happened a few times, it's miserable, is nothing compared to Jesus becoming a human being. How far he had to stoop and how much he had to give up to become flesh and blood. And yet, and so, and so, the, what Jesus was going to accomplish in the resurrection was significant enough that it made it worth all that. Okay? So it's not just a story. It was a, it was, he did it to accomplish some significant things, and that's what we've been talking about. And um, Like I said, we're in week three of a four-part series of uh, four things that we never have to do again because Jesus rose from the dead. We started with, I don't ever have to doubt Jesus again. If you remember, Jesus by the resurrection, proved that he was the son of man. He was a human being. He knew what it felt like to be human. 
He was also the son of David, this coming Savior. And then lastly, he was the son of God. And so through the resurrection, Jesus proved without a doubt his identity, his authority, his ability. And so you don't ever have to doubt that again. When you start saying, I don't know if Jesus, you know, I'm not sure that Jesus said some pretty harsh stuff. I'm not sure that I can trust that what he says is right. No, he proved you can trust that what he says is right. So that was the first thing. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that we never have to um, live as a slave of sin again. Like I don't have to live mastered by sin ever again. That's good news, by the way. If you've ever been a slave of sin and you're not now, you know how good of news that is that you don't have to live as a slave. You've ever been delivered from an addiction or something that just had you bound and you've been set free, you know that's good news. And so that is one of the things that you can live a different life. The resurrection was not so that your sins could be forgiven. It was so that you could live a different life. Sins being forgiven has plays a part in that. But ultimately, this newness of life. This week, today, we're going to be looking at the third thing I never have to do. And that is because of the resurrection, I never have to avoid God again. Never have to avoid God again. Uh, you ever avoided somebody? Um, not on purpose? <laughs> you ever, I mean like, like probably everybody has avoided a phone call before, right? Oh, God. Right? But, but what makes it worse is if you, if you know that you've done wrong or maybe you told somebody, this is happening to me, you told somebody that you're going to do something and then you forgot to do it. And then you see them, and then you see them in Walmart. You're like, oh. And, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to get in here, get out. You're like ducking under the, you know, the clothes uh, racks and, and, and in and out of aisles and Hoping that they don't look over and glance and see you. Why? Because you just feel guilty for what you did or didn't do. And, and you just don't want to have to deal with it right then. Uh, so uh, we know what it's like to avoid somebody. Well, today we're going to be talking about avoiding God. Have you ever been that way with God? I mean, you know, Adam and Eve, if you know that story where they sinned. And then God comes in the garden and they hid. You remember why they said they hid? They were naked. Did you know they weren't naked? You know they hid and they said we hid because we were naked, but they weren't naked. They made for themselves fig leaves and covered themselves. But they knew they were naked. They had done everything they could to try to cover it up, but they knew in their hearts we, we're, what we did is not enough. We still, when we hear God coming, we know he's not going to look at what I did to cover my sin and go, oh, you're good now. Well done. No, we knew we're negative. So that's what they were saying. They avoided God. They tried to avoid him. You can't avoid him. But they tried to avoid him. And, and I just want to give you the good news. Listen, you don't ever, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you are saved, if you've, if you're in Christ, if you've put your trust in Christ, you don't ever have to avoid God. No matter what you, you do, you don't have to avoid God. And I've been there. I've been like, okay, I know I need to pray, but I also know what I did. 
I also know what I've done. And, and so I've, I know I need to go before him in prayer, but I'm like, I don't think I can face him. Why? Because I feel so guilty and, and shameful of what I've done. And so I'm like, I know I'm not just going to be able to get on my knees and go through the Lord's prayer and not mention what I did. I know I'm going to have to bring it up because I know he's going to bring it up. I know he's going to address this in my life, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go before him because I know he's, he's, he, he's disappointed in me. And he's been so good to me, but he's disappointed in me, I know. And so you just avoid him. Well, well God has done, because of what God has done and because of the resurrection of Jesus, you don't ever have to respond that way no matter what you've done. Never, you never have to avoid God. How do we know? Romans 8, 31 through 34. And I'm doing something I don't normally do. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I like the way it words it. Very simple, easy to understand, easy to follow. So we're reading the NLT this morning. And it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand and pleading for us. So why don't I ever have to avoid God again? Number one, because God is for me. I know that God is for me. How do I know that God is for me? Well, it says it. Says it. Paul says if God is for us, who can be against us, right? So the fact that God is for you, what does that mean? Well, at least it means he's not against you. He's not against you, which is good news. Like the God of the universe, if he's against you, you got problems. You got problems, okay? Um, because you, you can't hide from him. He will find you wherever. But, but this is the thing. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in him, you belong to him, then, then God is always, always for you. In fact, even before you became a Christian, God was for you. Like even when you were his enemy, God was for you. That's good news. What does that mean? That means that God is always wanting what's good for you. Okay? When you are his enemies, it, it says this in Romans 5, 8 through 10. Everything comes back to Romans, right, Ben? Everything goes through Romans. Romans 5, 8 through 10. God shows his own love for us. I'm sorry. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still slaves of sin, Christ died for us. Since therefore, look what it says. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more God is for us. Okay? Since we have been justified. What that means is when we were his enemies, he was for us. And now we're no longer his enemies, we're his kids. When we had all this accusation against us that had not been forgiven, God was for us. Now we have been forgiven of all accusations. How much more is God for me now? Think about that. 
how, the pow- how powerful that is. Since we have now been justified by his blood. You know what justified means? It means that God has looked at you and he's declared you just. He's declared you just. That's what righteous means, just. He's looked at you and he's gone, there's nothing with which to condemn this person. The evidence, all the evidence shows and proves that this person is just. That's good news, man. That's good news. And you look at yourself and you go, yeah, but I'm not, see. Yeah, but God, wait a minute, I got some. I'm not just. Like I know what I just did yesterday or this morning. And you're, I know you're saying I'm just, but I'm not just. And it's like arguing with the judge trying to get yourself a ticket, you know. It's like, yeah, but I sped, please, you know, but I really did it. So please punish me. I deserve punishment. Give me, no, you go before the judge, and I don't care how guilty you are. If the judge says, okay, not guilty, you don't argue with the judge. You walk out and go, I don't know how they came to that conclusion, but I sure, you dance out of that courtroom. <clears throat> and God looks at you. As his child and says, not really not guilty, but, but, but just, there's nothing. You are not condemned. You are free from condemnation. We'll get there. Look what it says, verse, uh, verse 10. No, 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 continue with verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we now be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. That means when I come before God, I don't have to worry about his wrath. Like I did, he made so much, did so much to make it to where I didn't have to worry about his wrath when I was his enemy. That now that I'm his friend, how much less do I have to worry about his wrath? If he gave me all that mercy when I was his enemy, what makes me think he's not going to give me mercy now that I'm his friend? That's good news. That's good news. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's good news. That's good news. I'm going to say it. That's better than y'all are letting on. (laughs) That's good. Not my preaching, but that truth is good. That's a great truth. And it's the truth. What shall we say, back to Romans 8, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And it is wonderful. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did, look what it says. He, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What is he saying? Same thing. If he did that for you while you were against him and while there was all this stuff against you, if he went through all that trouble, to remove everything that was in between you and him so that you could come to him freely, without hindrance. If he went through all that trouble when you were his enemy, don't you think he's going to do the same thing now that you are reconciled? And yet so we get to thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but you don't know. I, the, the, the fact that he's done so much to get me reconciled is the reason I'm scared to come to him because before I knew I was a sinner, I didn't know any better or whatever, and I came to him and I apologized. But now I know better. 
And I know how much he did for me. And I feel like I've slapped him in, in, in the face and spit in his face and rejected him. And so I feel like I can't come before him because he's been so good to me and I knew it and I still messed up. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But what, what God's voice says the word of God spoken, written through the Apostle Paul says, is if God went through all that trouble so that we could be forgiven of all those sins in the past. Like, like he sent Jesus to pay for all of your sin, S-I-N, and all of your sins, add a plural to that, and not just all of my sin and your sin and my sins and your sins, but all the sin and all the sins of the entire world of everybody who has ever walked the face of this planet ever and whoever will. Like Jesus paid the debt for every single sin and all of sin. The whole Gamut of it, Jesus paid it all. Do you think he missed that one you just did yesterday? Now, while he was paying for all those sins, you know what he did? He looked ahead and goes, you know what? Ben's going to screw up on September the 6th. <laughs> so while I'm here, I might as well pay for that one too. Now, by the way, that's not scriptural that he did it just like that. But you get the point. Like he didn't forget that I was going to sin yesterday when he was paying for all the sins. And I get before him and it's like, hmm, you know what? All the other sins of everybody who's ever lived ever, ever, ever in the history of the world have been paid for. But it seems like he, he didn't pay for that one. So I'm sorry you, you, you can't get in. You can't come before God. No, he, he thought, he, let me let you know a secret. He knew you were going to do that when he wrote the check for sin in the blood of his son. He knew you were going to do it. So what does that mean? He's already paid the debt that you owed, that you deserved, the punishment that you deserved. He's already paid it for you. Don't you think he can handle, if he paid for all the sins of everybody in the world, don't, don't you think he can handle it when you sin today? Now, I'm not saying you ought to sin. And I'm not saying it's okay to sin or that God's okay when you sin because God is not okay with you when you sin. It suppresses the truth about him. It's unjust. But I'm saying if you're in Christ, your sins have been sufficiently paid for. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? If he handled all the sins of the past, don't you think that he can handle the sin of today? Verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? You ever, you ever been talking bad about a kid on the baseball field and realized the parent, their parent is sitting next to you? <laughs> or worse yet, has anybody been sitting next to you talking bad about a kid on the baseball field and it was your kid? And they may have been playing horrible and have a horrible attitude. But what that guy says about your kid, you're like, hey, buddy. Listen, you're God's kids. And, and, 
and God knows what you do and what you've done. He don't like anybody coming and tattling on his kids. Accusing his kids of something. That's what that says. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. Why? For God himself has given us right standing with himself. God himself has given right standing with himself. Here's, here's the truth. God has publicly declared that there is peace between you and him. If you're in Christ. Okay? He's publicly declared it. He has looked at you in all your glory and all your faults and all your flaws. And he said, when I look at Carrie, there's, well, there's peace between us. He said that with us. If you're in Christ, there's peace between me and you. Now, there used to be a dividing wall of hostility per se. There used to be something in between us. But it's been taken care of fully. And now there is peace between you and God. Because, not because of what you've done, but because of what, what God has done for you. Through Jesus. So here's the deal. You didn't make it up. You don't have to pretend that everything's good between you and God. God has publicly declared that everything is good between you and him. Even if you've sinned. He's declared you already just. Don't trust me. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been it's going to come up there. Romans 5.1 maybe. It's coming. It's in your bulletin. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And notice I used the ESV so that you'd know it was true. <laughs> Just kidding, by the way. That's the only version, right? Therefore, since we have been justified. What is justified? Basically, God looking at you and going, there's peace between me. There ain't nothing between me and you. You are right with, you're in right standing with God. That's what that means. So, so Paul says, since we have already been declared that we were in right standing with God, by who? Who declared it? God declared it. Through the resurrection, by the way. In fact, the previous verse right before Romans 5.1, if you're looking at a paper Bible, you can look at it says, I believe it's right before, it says that we have, that Jesus was delivered up for our transgression or our trespasses. You know that verse? He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Interesting passage of scripture. That, that, that scripture, Romans 4, I forget which it is, but the last, I believe it's the last verse of Romans 4, tormented me last week. I'm like, because he was, because if you read that in the sense it's used in, 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 in the Greek, he was delivered up. In other words, he was crucified because of our trespasses. And he, was, he rose from the dead because of our justification. Because of our. Well, that don't make any sense. He rose again because of our, like my justification caused them to rise again from the dead. That's the language that is used. And let me say this with a, what I say a lot of times. A, a lot of really smart people disagree on what that verse means. But this is what I think it means in the context. And I think it's clear. Jesus rose again from the dead to prove that we had been justified. Jesus rose again from the dead because we had been justified. In other words, all right, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our trespasses. 
He died on the cross. Are y'all with me? Okay. A little cooler in here. All right. Some of y'all, it's like cold in here. I see you, Devana. I see you covered up. That's all right. That, that he, he died, he was delivered up, died for our trespasses to do what was necessary for that. And he, he, he did a lot of work after he died, by the way. It says that he went to heaven. We, we, we all know, or, or some of you have heard the, the Apostles' Creed, that where it says, you know, he descended into hell. Like we think of that, he descended into hell. Descended into the grave, basically. Scripture really doesn't talk much about much about that. But what it does say is that when he died, he went into heaven and he presented his blood to God in the sanctuary that was in heaven. Now, here's what I want you to get from that, from the verse that's not even on the screen. Thank you so much. Romans 4.25. Well done. Romans 4.25. All right. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And, 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 and he did all the work that was necessary, and he didn't come out of that grave until the job was finished. Until every trespass of you and me was absolutely taken care of. Every trespass was taken care of. And so the fact that he rose from the dead is proof that the job was completed. That he was done. He which means he was delivered up. The trespasses is what brought him to death, but he was raised because of our justification. In essence, he was raised to prove that it was finished and we had been justified. And so the resurrection is a declaration that your sins have been sufficiently paid for. He didn't just die and remain there in the grave Paying for sin. Do we know if he ever finished the job or not? No, he stepped out of the grave saying, it's done. I'm done with sin. And by the way, you ought to be done with sin too. <laughs> I'm done with sin so that you can be done with sin too. But he finished it. He was raised for our justification. And so because of the resurrection, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. So here's the thing. Next time you sin and you feel like avoiding God, I want you to remember that verse. And I, I want you to go, you know what? I don't deserve to be able to, on my own, I don't deserve. I don't come before God confident that he better accept me because I'm no different than everybody else. I'm just a human being, you know, and he, he owes it to me because of me to let me in. No, 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 no. That's not the right mindset. But the truth of it is because of what Jesus did for me, I have access to come before the throne of God with confidence. Because God has said, there's peace between me and you. God has said it. I didn't say it. He said it. And so what I'm doing by coming before God in my filth and in my failure and in my brokenheartedness because I did it again, I come before him because he said, Eric, you've been justified by faith. Not by works, by faith. And you have peace with God. I don't feel peace with God. We'll take care of that. We'll deal with it. You confess it. Forgive. Cleanse. But the reality is, if you are in Christ, 
through faith, you have peace with God. Even if you don't feel peace with God. So come to him in, from, that, from that perspective, from that mindset. He's the one that said it. God, I don't feel like I can come before you. But you said I've got peace with you. I don't understand it. I don't know how. But I know that Christ, because of Christ, what Christ did, I have. I can come before you. And then lastly, verse 34. Y'all been very attentive. I appreciate you. Except for those of you who are falling asleep. <laughs> who then will condemn us? Not me. I'm not condemning you. Who then will condemn us? For Christ Jesus. By the way, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a good verse to memorize and use. Because when you feel condemned, you need proof that you're not condemned. And that's a verse you can use. Quote to yourself. Who will condemn us then? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us because of the resurrection. I don't have to avoid God anymore. He died for us. He was raised for us. Died for our trespasses. Raised because of our justification. And he is now sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Some translations say interceding for us. And so... Sitting at God's right hand, Jesus, we have Jesus. How awesome is it that the one who paid our debt is sitting right next to the one who's the judge? Like, I don't have to go, you know, my witness couldn't be here today, God. <laughs> you know, I had, pre- I had some evidence that might help my case, but I, don't, I can't find the guy. I get, can't get. No, he's like sitting beside God. With the evidence that all of your sin has already been paid for and that there's peace between you and him. The evidence is sitting at the right hand of God. Not you. Not this record, by the way. Not this book that has all of what you've done and go, well, look, he's been a pretty good guy. No, you don't want the books open and to be judged by the books. There are books that that are that have written what you've done and accomplished. You don't want that book to be what's, what's, what's uh, uh, um, for you or against you on the day of judgment. You want the fact that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. So Jesus is the one with the evidence sitting next to the one. Jesus is, is the, at the right hand. He has authority. And he has influence. And he is interceding, pleading for you to God. If I was accused of murder, I would want the best defense attorney I could find. And we've all seen, I think, defense attorneys can get you out of stuff you really did. Like, I, I, I got family members that say, and I'm like, you had how many DUIs? And you're pulling out your driver's license and showing it to me? How? Good defense attorney. Okay. You got Jesus. Jesus is your defense attorney. And he don't have to. Do any trickery to convince God. 
he presents hardcore evidence that you're, you're dead. Not that you've never done anything wrong and that you don't, but that he's already sufficiently paid for it in full. It's good news. You're good. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read this. The only one has the, get this, the only one who has the authority to condemn us is the one who has already declared that we're free from condemnation. The only one that has the authority to condemn me has already said there's no condemnation for you. Believe it. That's what faith is, by the way. That's how you get in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Two more verses and we're quitting. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. That's good news. How effective is he at salvation? Like, what's his percentage of being able to save? Because I need... I need a pretty good, oh, it's 100%. He's able to save completely. Those, those who what? Did you see what? Because don't miss that because that's key. What are we talking about today? Running from God, avoiding God, sinning and hiding from God. No, no, no. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. In other words, if you don't ever call the defense attorney, that defense attorney's not going to be able to present any evidence on your behalf. Like you got to come to God through Christ. Come to God through Christ. But if you come to God through Christ, you're guaranteed that he'll save completely. And he always lives never to die again to intercede for you. Last verse. I alluded to it a second ago. But Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a great verse. What a great verse. Let us then with confidence. Why? Because God is the one that has declared there's peace between me and him. God is the one who sent his son to pay the debt. And Jesus, the one who paid the debt, or through whom the debt was paid, is there sitting next to God on our behalf. Things are good. <laughs> like My chances are good. So I'm going to, with confidence, come before him. Well, I know he's for me. He's already declared that I'm righteous. So I come before him with, with, with confidence, and I, I know that when I get there, I'm going to receive what? First of all, mercy. What does that mean? He's not going to give me what I deserve. That's good news. That's mercy. I deserve punishment, separation, and hell. But I'm confident that when I go to God, he's not going to say, get thee away from me. He's not. Because I'm coming to God through him in faith. I belong to him. I'm his child. So I know I'm gonna, not going to receive what I deserve. So I'm going to receive mercy, but not just mercy. I don't want to just hear him go, I forgive you. But he's going to offer me grace. What is grace? Help that I couldn't get on my own. He's going to help me. He's going to help me. He's going to help me do better. He's going to help me make changes, make, do things right. He's going to give me what I need to be able to not to hopefully have to come before him again. Well, what if I have to come before him again? Guess what I can count on receiving when I come before him? Mercy and grace. 
And what if I do it again and I have to come before him again? Guess what I can expect to receive? Mercy and grace. Why? Because there's peace between me and him. And I didn't say it. He said it. And if, if he went through all that trouble when I was his enemy, now I'm his child. God is for you. So we're going to close out today. What a, an amazing. In fact, let's just echo what Paul says. These are some wonderful things. What shall we say about these wonderful things that, that we're talking about? Man, it's just amazing. Do you sense it? Do you get it? Do you grasp it? If so, what are you hiding from? Why are you hiding? Why are you avoiding them? You know he's offering grace and mercy. Mercy and grace. You know he's for you. So I want to encourage you to stop avoiding God. Stop hiding from him. Stop running from him. And instead, run to him. Run to him. He loves you. He's your father and you're his child. He loves you. He can handle the sin that you did yesterday because he handled the sins that you did your whole life. I tell you what, we don't do altar calls a whole lot, but I do want to make it available. There have been times where I've heard a message and I've been like, well, I wish he'd shut up so I could get to the altar. Um, if that's you today, You know why? Because the hardest part, it was a little stuffy in here to me. And so all of you who are going to be freezing to death in 30 seconds, you know, you know who to blame. <laughs> it's me, Jim Gibson. I know. Somebody bring Jim a blanket so he can have one. <laughs> so one of the greatest, one of the greatest hopes that we have as um as Christians is the resurrection. And um, Jesus said in John 14, he said, because I live, this is what our song list was about this morning. I didn't tell them to make the song list about. They just heard by the Spirit. And this is what Amy had to say uh, this morning. I didn't tell her what I was preaching, but it, it, it is the fact that um, Jesus says, before he died, he says, hey, I'm going to raise again from the dead. I'm going to rise again from the dead. And, and this is the great news for you and me. Because I live, Jesus says, because I live, and we just saw, sung about a risen Savior, you know, the buried body that began to breathe. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Talking to his disciples, talking to the people that follow him. And so the, one of the greatest hopes that we have in Christianity, one of the best things that we have is this hope of the resurrection of the dead. And uh, we celebrated that a few weeks ago. We've been in a series since then. It's a four-part series. This is part four of our four-part series, which typically means this would be the last sermon. Yeah, yeah, but here, because it's me, we've got six more parts. No, um, theoretically, this would be the last one. 
But what we're talking about is really good news of what Scripture says, um, um, the difference that it makes in our, our lives. Why is it relevant to you and me that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, it's a really cool story, somebody rising again from the dead. Really cool story. But it's not just a cool story. It means something. It accomplished something. And, what, and so we've been going over the last four weeks, uh, last, and this is week four, about what it accomplished for us. And when, specifically, we've been talking about four things that you never have to do again because Jesus rose from the dead. And did anybody remember number one? Never have to doubt Jesus. Well done. Never have to doubt Jesus again. We, we have gotten the, the definition of, of uh, exalt and part one of the series. I'm very proud. That's good. But I never have to doubt Jesus again because Jesus said, hey, I'm the son of man. Uh, he was the son of David. He was the son of God. And all those titles that come with the authority and the, uh, the, the um, uh, activities of the people who were those things. The son of man was somebody who was going to feel pain and, 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 and endure hardship and struggle and betrayal and, and even crucifixion, uh, sweating drops of blood, uh, this excruciating pain that he was going to, because he was the son of man, because the, the, the word was made flesh. God himself, the son of God became human in human form and and suffered. That's the Son of Man. And, and Jesus, said, Jesus said, I'm the Son of Man. He claimed to be the Son of Man. Or he used the Son of Man to refer to himself more than he used any other title. And then, uh, and, and so here's how you're going to know I'm the Son of Man. I'm going to be killed and in three days I'm going to rise again from the dead. So he based his identity and his authority on the resurrection. Same way with the Son of David. The Son of David was a promised Savior. Like throughout scriptures, the Messiah, we know the Messiah, the Messiah was the son of David, a descendant of David. And so the people of Israel were looking for this descendant of David that were going to save, was going to save everybody from their sins. They didn't think about sin, they just thought it was going to save us from the Romans, which will one day happen, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. But, but Jesus came as the, the Savior, the son of David, and he said, here's how you're going to know I'm the son of David, I'm, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. And then the Son of God, the Son of God, same way. Jesus based this, this uh, um, um, the validity of him being the Son of God on his resurrection. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved his identity. It proved his authority. So you never have to doubt Jesus' identity or authority again. You're, you're going to at times. You're going, is Jesus really? I mean, this guy lived so long ago. How do I know this guy? What difference does this guy make 2,000 years later? Uh, he, he proved his authority. He proved his identity. I don't have to doubt Jesus ever again. He was who he said he was. He was who his disciples said he was. And, uh, and I can bank, bank my life on that. Um, secondly, um, because of the resurrection, I never have to doubt, or I never have to, excuse me, not doubt, but I never have to. Anybody remember part two? Never have to be a slave to sin. Good job, Janice. Never have to be a slave to sin. I'm so glad Janice remembered that because I didn't remember it. <laughs> and it would have been embarrassing to go, uh, somebody look that up, bring that up again. 
But no, I never have to be a slave of sin again. By the way, we don't get real excited about that. But if you think about it and you know what it's like to be a slave of sin and not be a slave of sin, that's really good news. And really all these things, we lose the, it loses its luster the more we're in it, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. So good to not have to be a slave of sin anymore. And then last, last week we said that because of the resurrection, Janice helped me out. <laughs> she was in nursery. I never have to uh, avoid God again. I never have to avoid. I can run to God anytime because God has cleared the path between me and him. Like, I don't know about you, but I put a lot of obstacles. Like, those of you that have a garage know what I'm talking about. It's like all the stuff in your garage or a junk room. And it's like, you know, I can't hardly... Most of us, normal people, I can't hardly walk from one place to another. Jesus cleared the path that we had, all the junk that we put in our way between us and God, Jesus cleared all that away and made the path clear so that we can come freely before God. I never have to run from God, no matter what I did, no matter how bad it was, no matter how guilty or shameful I feel about it, Jesus cleared the path. For me, and and Scripture says it was the resurrection that did. He was he was uh, delivered over for our transgressions or our trespasses, and he was raised because of our justification. The fact that he rose from the dead proved, okay, I'm done paying for your sins. I'm done removing. In fact, I'm going to prove it. And remember what happened when Jesus died? The, the curtain of the temple, that thick curtain that existed that kept people on the outside from going into the presence of God, the holy of holies, that curtain ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died. What does that mean? There's access. You have access to me. Come before me. And so what, that's good news, by the way. That's good news. So today we're going to look at part four. And part four is what we talked about earlier, the fact that Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. It's the fact that we can, uh, we will rise again as well. So I don't ever have to fear death again. Any of you in here scared of dying? Not afraid of it? Um, I think some of us might say, you know, I'm not, not necessarily afraid of death, but I, I'm afraid of how I'm going to die. I don't want to suffer, you know what I'm saying? By the way, suffering is not anti the will of God for your life. Jesus came to show us an example of how to live on earth. Did Jesus suffer? You're going to suffer. Did Jesus die a horrific death? Yeah, you know, Paul said, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Boy, I, that was hard for me to pray for a long I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be beaten, you know. I don't want a crown of thorns on my head. I don't want to know that. And I think I've gotten a revelation on what that means. Um, um, but regardless, suffering is a part of the human existence even as a Christian. And, uh, um, but the fact is, no matter how we get to that point of death, I don't have to fear dying. I don't have to fear death. And again, this is not necessarily as important to some of us as it is to others. Uh, it should be, but it's not as relevant. The older you get, the more relevant this becomes. 
like the clock's ticking. You know, there is a point where I'm going to breathe my last breath, and I'm closer to that point today than I was yesterday. And when you're young, you think, well, that's just so far off, you know. But that day's going to come. And for those of you who, for whom that day has come for somebody you love deeply, uh, that, is, that truth that there is a resurrection is very important. It's very important. When you're standing over a grave and you're seeing somebody that you, you deeply, deeply care about being laid down into that ground, the fact that, that this, what I'm looking at, is not the end is extremely important. Like it's one of the things you cling to. In fact, it's assumed, by the way, by just about everybody. By just about everybody when that happens. And uh, the reason we can assume it is because of Jesus. We'll get there in a second. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is I don't ever have to fear death again. Uh, three reasons why I don't ever have to fear death again. Uh, first of all, we're going to uh, look at John chapter 11. This should be in the bulletin if you've got a bulletin. If not, there's probably one on the back table if you want to get one. You can do that. Jesus said this in John 11 to uh, Martha after her brother died, Lazarus. says, your brother will rise again. Now, we read that, and what do we instantly know when we read that? What do we know about Lazarus? He rose back. To, uh, like Jesus rose him from the dead like 30 minutes later, right? Well, at this point, yes. So four days after he died, but after this conversation, so when he's having this conversation, Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He has that. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise. By the way, thank you for listening closely enough and recognizing that, hey, he was dead four days. That makes me happy. Always check what I say. Martha said, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. We got that hope. Jesus said to her, I am the, by the way, you will hear sometimes that Jews had no concept of an afterlife. That is one of the things that is, that basically Christians came up with it or Greeks came up with it and the Christians kind of got a hold of it and used it. Absolutely not. Scripture proclaims Old Testament and New, a resurrection of the dead. Jesus said, I know, I mean, she said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's a tough question. When your brother's dead, when everything I'm looking at seems to say totally the opposite, like Lazarus believed in you and he's dead. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And whoever believes in me and lives will never die. And my brother's dead, and he believed in you. And Jesus says, do you believe this? I'm, I'm looking at this, Jesus, and it looks like that can't be true. It can't be true. What you just said is inconsistent with what I'm looking at. But I believe. But I believe. I believe you are. I, believe. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why it has to be that. But you said it. I have no trouble. I believe it. You know why I believe it? Part one. Part one. 
I mean, really, he has proven it. Now, he didn't at this time. He had not risen from the dead. But he, had, he proves it. You can trust what Jesus says even, even if it doesn't seem consistent with your reality at the moment. Do you believe this? So I'm going to give you three reasons today why you never have to fear death again. Okay? Never have to fear death. Number one. And the key is believing it, by the way. But number one, death cannot defeat me. Death cannot defeat me. Now, when I say me, I'm talking about if you are a Christian, this is true for you. Death cannot defeat you. Cannot. There's no way. And it's not just this arrogance like, you know, I'm the best out there. Nothing can conquer me. You know, I'm the, nothing's going to beat me. I mean... I know some people like that. They think they're the best at everything. That then nobody could ever beat them. And it's just arrogance. But this is a reality. Death cannot. And I'm going to tell you the evidence why death cannot defeat you. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You will not enter the kingdom of God in the flesh. You gotta, this has got to be done away with for me to enter the kingdom of God. Or we might say to go to heaven. But flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God or inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does perishable, what can die, inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is where the teaching of the rapture comes. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, we who are alive. For that perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body that's able to die must put on immortality, a body that's not able to die. And when, listen to what he said, we're getting to why it's so, the, the truth, the evidence of why death cannot defeat me. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass this saying. This is the important thing. This saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Is that not the announcement you just made? Is that not what we just sang about, sang about the whole time? Death is swallowed up in victory. Why? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Look what Paul says. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is actually, uh, um, Paul's kind of quoting or uh, uh, paraphrasing a verse from Hosea, an Old Testament prophecy, okay, that talks about the resurrection. And in this, in this prophecy about the resurrection, it says, oh death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Paul says the sting of death is sin. Now, here's the thing. If the sting of death is sin, then where do you and I stand in terms of the sting of death? Well, in Romans 5, um, actually Romans 6, excuse me. Romans 6, everything comes back to Romans, right? Romans 6 Paul says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if I'm going to heaven anyway, why don't I just keep sinning? Look what Paul, look what Paul says. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And he points back to your baptism. He said, listen, you, you were baptized. You were put under that water as an ending of your identity. 
Your old identity was put to death. The old you was put to death. In other words, you have a brand new identity in Christ. Your identity is Christ, which is why who you were before is not the important part. It is who Christ is. After your salvation, after, you get, after you're born again and baptized, it's not about you and who you are anymore. It's about who Christ is. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So the next time you say, you know, you, you use an excuse for your sin, you're like, that's just the way I am. Who cares the way you are buried with Christ? Buried with Christ, dead. And Paul says when that happened, when you were put to death, your flesh was put to death and you died to sin. You died to sin. Why? Because of Christ, your connection and the identity with Christ. You, are, you were crucified and buried with Christ. You're identified with his death and burial. And that is the, 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 the removal, the death of sin in your life. You, you are dead to sin. I am dead to sin. Not only that, and by the way, sin is the sting of death. Did I say that right? Sin is the sting of death. And if I've died to sin, I can say to death, where is your sting? Buried with Christ is where the sting is. Like Jesus suffered the sting. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Guess what? Romans 7 Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ. Get this. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be deceived when people come up and say we're still under the law. Romans 6 says we've died to sin. Romans 7 says we've died to the law. If somebody says we still need to keep the law, ask them, do I still need to keep sinning? Because if I've died to one, I've died to the other. You tell me how Paul uses the exact same language, but I need to stop doing one and keep doing the other or start doing the other. It doesn't fit. It's inconsistent. Don't be deceived by it. They'll make it sound good. It's not true. It's not consistent with the word. You're dead to the law. So if the, 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 the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law and you're dead to both of those, both of those have been crucified and buried with Christ then where is the sting and where is the power that death has over you? It's been dealt with already. So I can say, where's your sting with Christ? I can point to where it is. Where is your victory? You have none. You thought you did when Jesus was, die, was crucified and buried, but he rose from the dead. Where is your victory? Now here's the deal. Death looks like a victory for death. When you bury somebody and put them in the ground, it looks like a victory for death. The same way it looked like a victory for death when Jesus was buried. I mean, it looked like, like everybody else that had ever lived died. Therefore, there was a victory of death. But when Jesus rose again from the dead, he proved that it was not the end. In fact, with Lazarus, <laughs> I'm going to wait. So, so some of you may have heard this illustration. I heard it a long time ago. Hadn't heard it in a while. 
but this, the, the story of this old farmer who's riding down the road and he's got his little son in the car and a bee flies in the window. You ever heard the story? Bee flies in the window and it's buzzing around. The kid who is allergic to bee stings is freaking out. And so the farmer just kind of reaches over and grabs the bee and holds it in its hand. And the kid kind of relaxes and calms down and then the, the farmer opens up his hand and the bee starts flying around again. And the kid starts freaking out. And the farmer says, son, you don't have to freak out anymore. He's like, why? Because I'm allergic to bees. And he holds his hand out and there's the stinger in his hand. In his hand. There's a hole in the hand of the one who took the sting of death for you. Still there, by the way. I don't know how that happened. I don't know why it's still there and why he wasn't raised without a hole in his hand. Maybe just for the evidence, but I'm telling you, there's a hole in the hand. And he showed it to his disciples and Thomas, who doubted, said, listen, there's a hole. Look, feel it. You can put your finger in it, your hand in it. In my side, there's a hole. I took the, the sting of death for you. So that bee may be flying around you. Death is still around but it has no sting for you. Why? Because I'm dead to sin and I'm dead to the law and that's all that sin has over me. So I'm free from it. So death, get this, cannot defeat you. Why? Because it has no cards to defeat you. It has no weapons. The weapons it uses to defeat you are powerless and meaningless because they've already been dealt with with Christ. Isn't that good? That's good. So it can defeat me. Oh, and what if I find out I have cancer tomorrow? What if I fall down with a heart attack? Is it over? Did I lie to you? No, it, 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 uh, it may have happened to me. Death is going to happen to me, but death is not going to have victory over me. Death happened to Jesus. It had no victory over Jesus. Okay. So you don't have to be afraid of death because death cannot defeat me. Death cannot defeat you. Secondly, and this is where I was going to, death is not the end of my story. I almost jumped this one. But death is not the end of my story. So death can't defeat me. Therefore, death is not the end of my story. Going back to Lazarus. This is the first part of that chapter. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters went to him, sent to him, they sent word to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus is sick. But when Jesus heard it, listen to what he says, this illness, what did he say? Does not end in death. No, 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 sorry. This illness does not lead to death. That's what it says. This illness does not lead to death. Is that not, we don't have that? Is that in your bulletin? Okay. This illness will not lead to death. Now, here's the thing. He tells his disciples this illness will not end in death, will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And, and, and they get there, and Lazarus is dead. So it sounds like, Jesus, just like with Martha, it'd be hard to accept what Jesus is saying because of what I'm looking at. How about the disciples? Jesus told us. It's not going to lead to death. And then we find out he's been dead for four days. If I'm just there, I'm looking at Jesus going, but he told us it wouldn't lead to death. Am, am I following the wrong guy? 
following the wrong guy. Because what he said is not consistent with what I'm looking at. Guys, there's going to be times in your life where what you see is not consistent with what you've heard Jesus say. But it will be. But it will be. It's not over yet. Jesus did not say it won't lead through death. He said it won't lead to death. In other words, the destination of of Lazarus is not death. The destination leads through death. Death is a part of it. But it will lead to the glory of God, the resurrection. So the same with you. Death is not the end of your story. It wasn't the end of Lazarus' story. Even though nobody rises again after four days, he he stinketh is what the King James says. He stinketh. God don't, Martha, you know, Mary, Martha said don't open that, don't open that stone, don't open that grave. He's going to stink. He's going to stink. He's just, you know what, just don't worry about it. <laughs> just don't worry about it. No, no, no. No, the, the stone's going to roll away and, and, and I'm going to say come forth. And because I live, you're going to live. And so, because it doesn't lead to If you are a Christian, death is not the end of your story. Isn't that good? In fact, Jesus, because Jesus, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he uses this word, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In fact, that's used a few times in the New Testament, the word first fruits. If you know your Old Testament, if you've been reading along in your uh, Old Testament through Leviticus with, with Malia and me, I'm assuming the rest of y'all are reading it. You're just not clicking through and checking it that you read it. But me and Malia, or Malia and I, to use a grammar, uh, grammatically correct. What? Yeah, I'm just saying there's no check marks by anybody else's name that says. But that's another story. So me and Malia, have been, uh, Malia and I have been reading through Leviticus. And, and you, you see the, the Feast of Firstfruits. You see the Feast of Firstfruits. And so basically when the harvest begins, you take the very first sheaf, which I had no clue what that is growing up. Bringing in the sheaves had no clue what a sheaf was. But the first bundle of grain that you harvest, they would, they would gather it. And they would tie a rope around it or a string around it, whatever. And they would take that very first bundle. And before you did anything else, you had to take that very first bundle to the temple and present it to God and wave it before the Lord. Basically saying, thank you, Lord. You did this. And I acknowledge that you did this. I didn't do this. Same reason we tithe, by the way, on Sunday morning. I say, God, this is not me. This is, this is you and yours. And you would give it to the priest. So that was the law of first fruits. But here's the thing. The law of first fruits, when you wave that first one, the very first one is, a, is, is, is just a representation of all that harvest that is to come. And so it basically says, hey, it, it is an acknowledgement. This is, this is the beginning, but there's, there's more ahead. There's more to come. And so when Paul says Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits, what he's saying is, he was the first one, not to rise from the dead, because Jesus already raised Lazarus, Lazarus and uh, uh, I don't know, the, the, the funeral that was going by that he raised her son. So he had already raised, but he was the one that, that is representative of all of us that are going to be raised. Because that guy, that woman's son that was in the funeral died again. Lazarus, poor guy, died again. But I bet he was less scared of it the second time. 
But anyway, so Jesus is the first fruit. So here's the thing what I want you to get. Because Jesus rose from the, from the dead, it is a guarantee that you and I are going to rise from the dead. It, it is a, he is a representation of what's coming after. The, the Greek word is um, aperche, aperche, the beginning of a sacrifice. It's the combination of the Greek prefix apo, which means away from, and the Greek word arche, which means from the beginning. And so it, it basically implies something that happens at the beginning that is going to happen many more times to come. And Jesus' resurrection is that. Death is not the end of my story. How many of you go to concerts relatively often? Nobody? Yeah, just me. All right, okay, so here's the thing. You'll be able to vouch for this. The rest of you, this illustration doesn't hit you at all. So anyway, if you ever go to a concert, you'll notice. By the way, I hated concerts for a long time. And then my kids got old enough to where we had time to do something. And I'm like, we're going to start doing stuff. But that's another story. So I've been to a few concerts. And they all, thanks, Aiden. They all, they all, A-L-L, they all, at the end of the concert, Wave to the honest, they go, thank you for coming out, Huntsville, or wherever you are, and they run off the stage. And, and nobody leaves. Everybody just stands there and claps and yells. And about two minutes later, the band comes back on the stage, and they play one to two more songs. And all of them do it. They pretend like the concert's over. Why do they, like, it's not a surprise. Not, we got them to come back. No, no, no. They knew they were coming back and they still left. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. But every one of them does it. It's expected. It's expected. So here's the deal. The end of the concert is not the end of the concert. There's an encore. There's an encore. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. They just do it. So here's the deal, when, you, when, when death happens to you and me, understand, it happens to everybody, we all do it, but there's an encore coming. And in fact, the encore is kind of like the main act in the real concert. It's not the end. It's not the end. There's an encore. So the next time you see somebody lowered down in that grave... AJ sees it quite a bit working at the funeral home. The next time you see a Christian, by the way, this is for those who are in Christ. That's a hard truth, by the way. It's not for those who are not in Christ. Oh, there's a type of a resurrection, but it's nothing like what I'm talking about for those who are in Christ. But if you're in Christ, it's guaranteed that the next time you see somebody who was a Christian going down into that, into that, into that grave, you remind yourself there's an encore coming. There's an encore coming. And the last thing that we're going to be talking about, the third thing, is the encore is the main act. That's not the fill in the blank, but it's the truth. The encore, that would have been a great one. The encore is the main act. In fact, what we're doing right here is temporary. What we're going to be doing in the encore is eternal. And it's going to be better. And the fill in the blank is death is the gateway to glory. Now, death is the gateway to glory. Now, what I wanted to title this, what I wanted to title this one is, You're Better Off Dead. <laughs> exactly. That's why I didn't, but I did want to share it because there's a truth to that, but I don't want you thinking 
Well, if I'm better off dead, I'll just go kill myself because some people can take it that way, and that is absolutely not what that means. Paul says, Paul says, to live is Christ and death is gain, better. I'm better off dying than I am living. But here's what he said. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, but when I look at it, and I don't know what I'm going to choose to do. It's almost like he had the choice. He could either go or not. He said, I don't know what I'm going to choose. But here's, here's what I think. I'm pretty sure because it's more necessary for me to stay here with you and help you. I'm going to be sticking around. In other words, it's not about me. Like death is better, but it's not a, for me to decide to die, to take my own life and go. No, I'm not here for me. I'm not here to do what is best for me. I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to do what God wants me to do for you. That's what I'm here for. And so Paul says, death is gain, but I know I'm going to stick around a little longer because you need me and I want to help you. So, so but, but in a sense, we are better off, not dead, because you don't die. Jesus said that, by the way. I mean, by the way, he said that. Jesus said, you who believe and die will live again. You believe in me and are alive, will not die. He said both of those things. Sounds crazy, but both of those are true at the same time. So you really don't, you really don't die. If you're a Christian, you've died already, is the point. You've died already. Like at your baptism, when you were crucified with Christ and united with him and identified with him, that was your death. And you are new. Now, are you going to have to go through that experience of taking your last breath, your heart stopping, no brain activity? Absolutely. But it's not death. It's a gateway. It's a transition. And it's not one to be feared. It's not one to be feared. 1 Corinthians 15. Quite a few verses, but we're almost done. I'll get you out of here by 1130, Lord willing. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is sown, what goes into that ground, what you see going and being lowered into the grave is perishable. It's going to disintegrate. But what is raised is imperishable. It's not going to disintegrate. It is sown in dishonor. If you ever see anybody who struggle with certain things, cancer, they, they look frail. That's what it means, dishonor. That body looks so pitiful when it goes down into the grave. But it's raised with glory. It's a gateway to glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, so also there is a spiritual body. That's true. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. It's not the spirit, listen to what it says, it's not the spiritual that comes first, but the natural comes first, and then the spiritual. The first man was from, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, Jesus and as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Identify with Christ. So look what he said. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All that Paul says, listen, the physical, this physical body is going to be one day put to death. But what comes after is so much better. It's so much better. So those of us who have lost loved ones who are in Christ, they're better off. Not dead, but because they died. They're, not better, they're, they're better off going through death 
and being raised in the spirit. I don't know if any of you remember Super Mario Brothers, probably a hit and less maybe than go to concerts with this. Anybody ever just play a lot of Super Mario Brothers? Raise your hand. Okay, more so. Good. There's a movie, new movie out. I hadn't seen it, so I can't say it's good or bad. But the, it's good. All right, all right. Super Mario Brothers. So go see it. Today's message is brought to you by Super Mario Brothers movie in theaters near you. Uh, but the video game, the video game was, I mean, our, I wish I had that time back. If I would have spent that time reading, <laughs> I don't know, would have been a genius. But I, I spent all that time trying to find all the hidden worlds, you know. But the reason I bring that up, if you remember Super Mario Brothers, you started off really little, like tiny. We went to an arcade the other night on a date. This is why this came to mind. And we played it. And, and you start out really little, and you got to run, you find, and you hit a block, and a mushroom comes out of the block. And I don't know if that's a drug reference or not. It's just a game to me. But a, a mushroom pops out, and it flows, and it hits. And you go, and you, I don't think he eats the mushroom, but you run into the mushroom, and you, you get big. You get big. And if you're big, you can play, you can, you can do more things than you can when you're, when you're little. You can reach more things. And, and even if you get hit by an enemy, you just go back to little. You don't die. But if you're little and you get hit something, you die. So it's always better, I would say, to be big than to be little. And, and, and so you, want, you don't want to go, man, I wish I was little. I hate the fact that I'm big. And, 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 and I use that to say you'll never want to go back to the old life once you get the resurrected life. Like even more so than being little in Super Mario. That's such a terrible reference, but it's what came to mind, so it's what you got. But it's so much better. There is no one. Like I don't know if you remember Carmen's song, Lazarus. Lazarus is having a great time in heaven. It's like, Jesus, as you call me, you know, what a bummer to have to go back. But if Jesus says it, you got to do it, right? But death, those who have passed over are not worse off. They're better off. That's a truth that doesn't look consistent with what you see. Because what you see is the perishable that disintegrates. That's, what we, that's all we can see with our eyes. But Jesus said, if I live, you will live also. Because of what Jesus did, the sting of death is gone. The power of death is gone. The victory of death is gone. For you. There's no victory in death. Victory, death has no victory over you. Death is not the end. In fact, so there's no reason to fear death, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures because it would take a while. But the way the New Testament describes people who die, who are Christians, who die, you know what word it uses, what term it uses? Like Stephen, the, 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 the deacon, the first deacon he's called. Stephen in, in the New Testament, the first martyr, first Christian martyr is being stoned to death. Now, I don't know what they use. I don't know what size stones that they used, but if they used rocks big enough to kill you, how many know that would not be a very pleasant experience to go through? That would be miserable, wouldn't it? I don't want that. I don't want to go through that. When I pray the fellowship of your sufferings, I think about that. It's like, God, I don't really don't want to have to go through that. But Stephen is standing there before these people who are stoning him to death for blasphemy. Because he preached Jesus as at the right hand of heaven. And they're stoning him with rocks big enough to kill him. And it doesn't say, and he agonized and he screamed and he was tortured and then he died. You know what it says about Stephen? That he went to sleep. 
he went to sleep. And it wasn't just Stephen. That is the term that is used in the New Testament for Christians who die. They went to sleep. And I was thinking about that. And, you know, the only people that fight going to sleep are immature. (laughs) Babies, kids, like we see that as punishment. Don't make me go to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep fighting sleep. But, man, when you get mature, (laughs) you're like, man. I can't wait to go to sleep. I can't wait to go to sleep. It's a blessing. Like already I'm thinking, I'm going to bed early tonight, you know. Now here's the deal. Here's the thing. That's what death is called in Christianity by those that know Christ, going to sleep. When we are fighting dying and dreading dying and scared of dying, it shows some immaturity in us. That we don't really, how many know your kids need a nap? (laughs) Like you need a nap. Like I'm not putting you down to get rid of you. (laughs) Bad example. (laughs) Either way, you need a nap. (laughs) How about this? I need a nap. (laughs) We need a nap. But but, But they fight, they fight, fight. Exactly. Exactly. He knows what I'm talking about. He heard me say nap. You know what he's saying? No, 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 no. That's the way we respond when we're not mature. I don't want to die. I shouldn't have to die. Die, No, no, no. The mature is like death has no sting for me. I'm not, you know, getting on a bus tonight. If they're, You know what I'm saying, Ray? I'm not like, but, but I'm not scared of it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And and it's better. It's the reality. It's better. And it's only that way because Jesus rose again from the dead. Not just because he died, but because he rose again. But Jesus rose again from the dead. And because of that, you don't have to fear death. And if you're mature in Christ, you won't fear death. So some of us need to grow up and realize death is a part of life, and it actually is a transition, a gateway to glory. It's better off after. Let me say this again. Please hear me. I'm not saying commit suicide. That is not your call. If you are, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he's probably not telling you to kill yourself. We live for the glory of God. You don't live for yourself. So even if you would be better off, it's not about you to make that decision. It's about Christ. That's part of being a Christian, like him being your Lord and your Savior. And so he gets to make that decision. But what he's leading you to, and when he allows you to walk that step and that path through death, know that he's leading you to life. Don't dread it. Don't fear it. Don't hate it. Don't curse God about it. Endure it with your eyes on the prize. And know that because Jesus said it, because he lives, I will live again. Amen? Amen. So that's good news when it comes to the resurrection. And so if you're in here today and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, only you can do that. Um, You don't have to be good at it right away, but you do have to make the choice to receive him. And so if you've not done that and you want to do that today, then, then, then here, here's what it entails. It entails, faith is the word that the New Testament uses. 
You put your faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's what takes you from being a sinner headed to destruction to a saint headed